If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 14. All right, there's a birthday in here today. Mike Strickland, how many rings are on the tree, brother? I'm as old as George All right, there you go. <laughs> That's a good one right there. Just sidestep that issue all together, won't you? All right. So as you turn in your Bibles, Ephesians, happy birthday, by the way, brother. That's good, good to add another ring, right? Uh, as a result, verse 14 says, We are no longer children tossed about here and there by waves carried about in every wind of doctrine and by the trickery of men and by craftiness and the deceitful scheming. Now remember, last week we've been talking about the process. We've been talking about what it's been called. We've been called to a job, a purpose by God. In fact, Paul not only tells us this here, but he tells us in other scripture that the work that we've been given to do has been planned out beforehand. So look, our job titles are different. We looked at some of the titles a few weeks ago, some of the leadership positions that are, are there within the church and the church body, all right? But we've also talked about the fact that every single one of us is called to duty. We are all called to salvation. We are all called to servanthood. So in other words, when God saves you, you have a job to do. You are a servant of his. It's no longer I that liveth, Paul says, but Christ that liveth in me. So if Christ lives in you, then Christ has given you a field in which to work. And so as we go to work each and every day and as we do the purpose to which God has intended us, sometimes we look at that and we see no value in who we are. We think that somebody else has the same skill set or maybe their, their giftedness is close to our giftedness and, and they're better at this than we are and we acquiesce to that or we, we, paid, we lay down what we, the mantle that we've been called to because somebody else will cover our field. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. Every soul that walks into a body of Christ church today, in other words, someone that has a true relationship with the Lord and they're serving in a place today where God is there and the Holy Spirit fills it up, they need to hear a word from God and then be sent back out in the world to do their work. So this is a healing station for us. This is a place where we gather together as individuals, as the body of Christ, so that we could be built up. Remember, we talked about that. My job here is to what? Equip you and to build you up. It's not to do all the work. You don't pay me to do all the work that's in the field. We're all out in the field together. And so the process that we looked at last week was the fact that we needed to be unified in this. We need to have knowledge of the Son of God. We need to have a relationship with Him. And there needs to be maturity in who we are as believers in Christ. So then he says this. As this, you are no longer to be children tossed about by the mere waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and de deceitful scheming. Now... What this says to us is these three things. As a result of all of this, what are we going to see? If we're mature in Christ, then we're going to be spiritual grown-ups. Have you ever seen this with your children? I'm sure none of you have ever had to be the grown-up in the room, have you? You, you have to be the grown-up in the room, right? Sometimes your kids have come to you with some of the things that they've said when, as they're growing up and as they're maturing, and they say, I'm thinking about doing this, or I want to do that, or I'm going to go here, and you're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've been there, done that. That did not end well. I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to save you some time. Did it work? They probably didn't listen to you at all. But you were the spiritual grown-up in that situation. That's what you do. That's your job. Our job as individuals as we mature in Christ is to become spiritual grown-ups. Now, here's the deal. We think that because we're older that we're spiritual grown-ups. That's not always the case. 
That's not always the case at all. I've seen people in their 20s, 30s, teenagers who've been the spiritual grown-ups in their homes and that they're young. How many times did you see the Lord use people who were young? The disciple John was the youngest, but he was in the inner three. How do you think that made everybody else feel in Jewish culture of that day? In Jewish culture of that day, when James and John and Peter are in the inner circle and John is a teenager and he's going to places with the Lord while the older guys are sitting there. You don't think that that caused some rub right there? I'm sure it caused some rub. But what did the Lord see? The Lord saw the heart and he saw John as what? A spiritual grown-up. In the end, who's the one that did not cut and run? When Jesus is on the cross, it's John. Now look, in some of that, it could have been cultural as well because, because he was so young, everybody else was looking at him saying, he's no harm to us. And so they allowed him to stay there. Who did the Lord put in charge of his mother? John. So don't tell me that this is an age factor. It has nothing to do with age. You can be the spiritual grown-up no matter what age you are. You just have to be that. If you're maturing in Christ, the result is that you're going to be grown up. Hebrews 6.1 says this, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let's press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith toward God. Now look, I'm going to say this, and I'm not throwing stones I'm just speaking doctrinally. As a Baptist, we believe once saved, what? Always Always saved. Once you are saved, you are always saved. The elementary teachings is that you can lose your salvation. Jesus Christ did not die over and over and over again for your sins. He died what? Once for the sin of all men. This is what this is saying right here. Get away from the elementary teachings. Let's press on to maturity. Laying the foundation from the dead works and the faith towards God. You got to know that if Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and your sins and you surrendered your life to him, then you are his. You are a child of the king. The value that is in your life may not come from anywhere else in this world but will come from him. And we have to trust that. And look, that's difficult. That's difficult for me as well. In my 50s, having served him within ministry for half my life, there are still times when I sit and I think, really, Lord, what is going on here? And so I know that every single one of us has these thoughts as we go through this. Where's the value in what's going on and what's being done? You have no idea. I have no idea. You don't know the impact that you have in the lives in which you come in contact with. And so every single day of our life needs to be lived in preparedness for what God has to do in and through us. That's in us as well. Are you prayed up this morning? Are you read up this morning? When you came here. Is this the first time the word of God's been opened to you today? Then scripturally, scripturally, the Lord would tell us that we ain't prepared. 
You were not prepared for when you got here. When you're prayed up, when you get here, you're ready to walk into worship. You're ready for what God has to say to you today. See, it's in you to be through you. So don't come here this morning saying, hey, preacher Tim, teach me something. Because probably, as you all well know, that ain't going to happen, right? If you come here counting on me to get it, you're not good shape right now. You need to come here prepared to hear something from God for you. And then that way, the meanderings of this man up here in the front, using his arms and walking all around, the Lord will say something that will speak directly to you. But if you're not prepared, you're going to walk in and out of here and go, I don't know who that was for today. I have no idea, but I'm well good on everything that he was talking about. Check that box, got that covered. And that is not worship. That is not meeting the Lord here this morning in the power of his spirit to be spoken to yours. That is a spiritual exercise. Actually, it's probably not even spiritual. It'd be better to say it's a religious exercise. And I can tell you this, probably masses of people have moved in and out, or right now are moving in and out of worship services. And that's what's taking place. The box is being checked. The children are being taken care of. Somebody's heard a message. They've given some money. They've done all the things that are a part of a religious exercise. And now they're going to go get something to eat. And they, they're ready to go on with their day. That's not spiritual maturity. That's not being the grown-up. And how many times is it that the kid gets in the car and they've learned the message in the back and they ask their mom and daddy about what that means and we can't tell them what it means because we don't know. You see, the kid in the back encountered the Lord and has got questions about what it means and we can't answer it. That is not being spiritually mature. That is not being the grown-up. we got to be able to handle our kids' questions as they question our faith. Because you know what? When they're in school, they're going to get those questions from their friends. They're probably going to get them from their teachers. Maybe not if they go to this church. But others. And we have to be able to counteract that. We are not culturally in the green light. We are counterculture. So everything that flows against us and our kids and our families and in our workplace every day, we're swimming upstream. Got to be grown up. The other thing is, secondly, that we're going to be anchored doctrinally. I just gave you an example by just reading that passage in Hebrews. But there's so many other things. So many other things that we want to fuss and fight about. And I've told you this before. There's not one particular. Do you realize how many Christian denominations there are? We've got Baskin Robbins beat by so much, it's not even funny. There are hundreds of flavors of the church. And everybody, everybody thinks they got it right. Got to be baptized. Got to be baptized by immersion. Got to be baptized by immersion in our water. Got to be, you know, dried off with a white towel when you get out. I don't know. Ask it. Somebody's doing it. You got to have your feet washed. 
Your feet's got to be washed in this church. How many of you want your feet washed by me? You were coming here this morning and going, mm, I'm painting my toenails. Pastor Tim's going to wash my feet today. We didn't do none of that. I've gone to Christian retreats, ministerial retreats, and they break out towels and everybody in the whole room, this is pastors, all right? And we're going, oh, Lord, please don't tell me we're going to do this. God has called us to be anchored doctrinally. If the Lord broke out a towel and washed his disciples' feet, get over it. We got to get beyond this. We got to see it for the truth it is and believe it as such. And not only believe it as such, but live it as such. Live it as such when everything around you is going crazy. You are anchored doctrinally. All right. How many of y'all have ever been on a cruise? Sweet, I love cruising. Cruising's awesome. But the reality is, we went across the Gulf of Mexico one January on a cruise ship, and it did not stop rocking the entire three days that we were on it. So at night, I'm sitting there going, after being at the buffet all day. When I got off for the next three days, I was like this right here. You know what I mean? You're walking around, you're going, I think I need weights on both my hands just so I can keep myself angry. When it was in port and I was standing on the ground, it was like, this is awesome. Being anchored is awesome, right? Not moving around like that. Nobody wants to be tossed around. That's what it says. Tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I may have used this example before. If I have, forgive me, but I still think it's great. I still think it's great. So had this guy been coming to my church plant, the first church plant that we had for a number of years, all right? So the guy goes to a funeral down in South Georgia. Sorry, he's from South Georgia, Brother Paul. I know, you know, I know everybody's not like this. But he's down in South Georgia, and he goes to this funeral, and the guy stands up. And basically, from what I could tell, is that he told everybody at the funeral that when we died, we were going to be 33 and a half or a third years of age, because that's how old Jesus was when he died. And I'm like, so he came back, and he said, man, I'm going to be 33 again. This is going to be awesome. And I'm like, dude, I was losing my hair at 33. I hope I get a whole lot better body than that. Where is that coming from scripturally? I've never heard that in my entire life. I said, where did this guy come off from this 33 and a third years of age when you die and go to hell that's what you're um, heaven, hell when you go to heaven that's what your spiritual body's gonna look like that guy may actually be there for telling people that i have no idea but do you get that i mean where does this come from so he comes back all fired up man he's in his 60s and he's going i was pretty good shape when i was 33 my spiritual body's gonna look like this my glorified just like jesus and i'm like this is junk I said, go find that in scripture somewhere and then come back and we'll talk about it. We never had the conversation again. Never had the conversation again. But see, that's being tossed. That's somebody getting up and spouting some junk. Now look, what do I tell you when I give you my own doctrinal opinion? This is whose theology? Tim's theology. If you believe it, you could be just as messed up as me. That's all I'm telling you. 
That's uh-oh. That's very good. Take it for what it's worth. Right, Ron? That's right. Two cents. That's about all it's going to get you. James 1, 6 through 8 says this. But he must ask in faith without doubting. So it begins with faith, and then not only do you have to have faith, but you can't what? Well, I don't know if the Lord's going to do this one or not. I don't know if the Lord can do this one or not. That is doubt. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Do you get the theme here that we've got going through the New Testament? You're going to be knocked around like, like a boat on high water if you don't anchor yourself doctrinally and know what you're asking, why you're asking, and what for you're asking. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. That is being called out right there. There is no spiritual maturity in being double-minded. Here's what I mean by this. You can't come to church and say God's word is truth and then go out and live something that is contrary to that. That's double-minded. Don't call, Do me and everybody else a favor and don't call yourself a Christian. If that's what you want to do. Because you have to know what you believe, why you believe it, and then live that. Faith in action produces fruit. There is no way, read John chapter 15, that the vine, the branch, will ever produce fruit unconnected to the vine. Live in a new neighborhood. My builder is a great person, not... All right, not. So the builder that I bought this house from, and look, I'm still, I'm dumb. I, I know, I, this is the second house we bought from this builder because the same house, the same builder built this house up here. It just happened to be in the neighborhood that we wanted to live in there. All right, so it's the same builder. And in both cases, this guy would go in the backyard, push all the trees, all the black fencing and stuff, all of the stuff that, you know, they did for making sure that nothing washed. And everything. He just would pile it up in the back. In the back of my house are metal stakes and the black fencing and stuff like that, pushed over with little trees and little junk like that, just piled up over in corners of the back of my lot. So I made the mistake of going to the Homeowners Association meeting a month ago, and the homeowners association meeting, they told me that the responsibility of cleaning up your backyard belongs to me. So last weekend, when it was nice and bright, I'm out in the back pulling up all this junk that is in my backyard, just dumped back there and left for me. That's what we do when we are not responsible with the faith. Do you get it? We just take all the junk that's in our life and we just pack it all in the backyard back there. Nobody can see it. And we just want to walk away from that. There's responsibility for this. That junk has to be cleaned up. And if we want to do that with the faith, then guess what? We're causing someone else to have to go into that backyard where we made a mess and we're going to leave them that trash. So guess what happens in church all the time? Somebody comes into the body of Christ where we're supposed to be equipping and building each other up. They drop a bomb, and then do they stay and clean it up? What do they do? We are out. 
And then that mess is left for what? Everybody else to clean up. That is total irresponsibility. And it happens pastorally all the time. Every single one of us can go back. Oh, one of the churches that helped plant us, God came in after the pastors that have started our church plant left. All right? There was actually a guy in between, but this is the third guy down the road. So he comes in, and doctrinally, he's um, different theologically than what the majority of Baptists would be in that place and probably in that community. So he starts teaching this doctrine differently. He leaves down the road three or four years later. There are millions of dollars in debt and half the people they had before. And now someone's come in there and they fixed it, but it's 20 years removed. So you cannot think that we can come in and do what we want to do, not be doctrinally anchored, and then just go off and do it and walk away from it. There's a mess that's left, a total mess. And somebody has to clean that up. So if you are not going to walk the walk that you talk, don't say a word. Please. For the love of everybody else around you, don't do it. 1 John 5, 5, and then verse 10 says this. Who is the one that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. There's your doctrinal foundation. There is your anchor. Jesus Christ the son of the living God, your creator, creator of life, sustainer of life, giver of life. Overall, in all, and through all, nothing is created beyond him. Nothing that wasn't created by him. Nothing is beyond this. It didn't grow up out of primordial ooze. A platypus, platypus is not the you know, you know, cross-pollination of this, that, and the other, and that made this, and blah, blah, blah. God created. The one who believes in the Son of God has a testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. If you go and you read all of that, it puts the lie into three categories. The lie first is to ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We rationalize our faith. I don't have to do that. That's not what God is saying. That's not what God is saying to me. And the second thing we do is we start to lie to everybody else. We start passing that off to other people. And then the third part about it is in verse 10. We're lying to God. That's how deep it goes. That's how far it grows. Need to be anchored doctrinally. The third thing is the last part of this. It says, by craftiness and deep, deceitful scheming, 
We need to be wisely discerning. We need to recognize false teachers and recognize the enemy, those who are against us. Look, they're around us every single solitary day. I don't know, you may have a coworker who is, their main job there is to make you look like an idiot in your faith for believing. You know, we're simple-minded people anyway. People tell us all the time we're dumb fools for believing in something that we can't see. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this, you're a dumber fool for believing in what you can see. Open your stinking eyes. People tell me I'm crazy for having faith in a God which is not visible to me. I'm telling you, you have a deeper faith than I do to believe in this lunacy. How can there be a heaven? Well, I want to tell you this. This is my hell. This is as bad as it gets for me. And I'm okay. God's blessed me. I pay my bills. I'm upright. I have my faculties. <laughs> Maybe not all mentally, but pretty much good on the rest of them. And this is as bad as it gets for me. This is as good as it gets for you. So enjoy. Soak it all up. Take it all in. So now who's the idiot? You see, we've got to be able to defend our faith. And when someone comes to us making us try to be looking like a fool, they are really the fool. But if we don't know what we believe and we can't explain it, which sometimes we can't, some of it the Lord didn't give us, says, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I can't give an answer for everything. But I can go try to find something if it's answerable. If it's not, it's called faith. And you got to have some of it. Hebrews 5.14 says this, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Brother Gary, is practicing basketball important to playing basketball? Very. Very. Do the same habits that take place in practice take place in the game? They do. So if you practice bad, you're going to what? Play bad. Like Auburn. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. It just had to come. I'm really sorry, Elizabeth. I really am. It was just there. I saw it. I'll ask the Lord for forgiveness later. Probably not. But anyway, I just, I really am sorry. All right, let me keep moving. Matthew chapter 5, 15 through 17. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, are they? Hmm, I'm going to go out and get some figs. There's not thorns all over fig bushes, are there? I'm not a fig person, by the way, but is there? No, tell me truth. There's not, is there? No. So you cannot get thorns from the fig bush. 
So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. Now here, let me, I want to give you something here on this, okay? The world may tell you you're a bad tree. Why? Because the world defines success totally differently than what God defines as success. So if you look at the world definition of success, then look at your tree. You may not have bared much fruit. That's okay. Don't get down on that. If the Lord sees your tree is good, it will not be cut down. What happens to all the bad trees? Cut down and thrown where? Over in the back of my lots to sit there and rot? No. Into the fire. Into the fire and they're what? Burned up. Burned up. Colossians 2, 5, excuse me, 6 through 8. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than according to Christ. Harvard, Princeton, Yale. These are where everybody that's rich, famous, or really smart, wants to send their kids, right? Or if the kids are those, they want to go there. What were all of those schools started as? Does anybody know? They were seminaries. Every single one of those that I just told you was started as a seminary. Now, those are schools of philosophy. Not schools of religion. Well, it may be still called a school of religion, but it's really a philosophy school. So all of those were started as seminaries, but we got too smart for our britches. And we stopped defending the faith. And now Christianity may be taught as one of the philosophical vents or philosophical lines of everything else. But we all just got to get along, right? Isn't that what the bumper sticker says? Can't we just all get along? Has all the symbols of all the faiths on there? Is that what the, the Lord God himself tells us? Tim, just go along to get along. That is not what he tells me. He tells me to speak truth, and we're going to talk about this when I get back. Speak truth in love. In love. Not what I say, but how I say it. In the intentions of my heart when I say it. Be a sober spirit, 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls. This is your real enemy. If you want to keep reading in this book, this letter that Paul wrote, you're not going to be able to... to, Maybe did y'all go go over that today in Sunday school chapter? Did you go over uh, the 13th? We went over the 13th. You did? Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Putting on the what, Al? Full armor of God. Who is your enemy? All of you guys who are in Sunday school today. Is it me and everybody else? Our enemy is what? The evils of this world in whatever form, shape it takes. It could be 
the church as an institution. Lord knows millions of people have been victimized by the church institutionally. It could be government. It could be individuals. That is all under the directive powers of the evil that has dominion over this world for this time. You live in the world, you're not to be of the world. Man, I've given y'all so much, you know, just little sayings and phrases today, right? We hear this stuff all the time. But it is truth, it is reality for us. You're the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy or devour, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, God, the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Man, I got it rough. I got it rough. Do you realize how many people right now are being persecuted for their faith all across the world? People are in prison for believing what we believe. You drove here, you'll get in your car and drive away from here. I've been to places where I've gotten on trains and buses and back on buses and back on trains. And we left two and a half hours before the service began so that we could get people off our tail so they wouldn't know where we were worshiping because we were worshiping in a communist country undercover. Scared half to death. Guy in the house in which I was staying went to the window and he said, see those two guys down there on the corner? I said, yeah. He said, those are KGB guys. They're watching us because my, my parents have gone to France. At the same time, two American teenagers have come to my house to live. They've been sitting here to watch us. So in the morning, we're going to get up and we're going to ride around for a long time and then go to church because we can't go directly there. And we snuck in Bibles. And I'm going, please, Lord, please, 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 don't let them look in there. Do you get it? We got a cush job. Didn't say it's going to be easy, but in comparison to a lot of other people, the things that we go through here are nothing. Nothing at all. One more, and then I'll close. I've been in Peru. I've been in Cusco. Tomorrow's, one of tomorrow's doctors is in Cusco. is the starting place where you can um, go on a journey to Machu Picchu. You guys ever heard of Machu Picchu? It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It's where the Incas were, and that's, you know, they built the village there. They left, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing, by the way. They did all kinds of worship to the sun god, and there's all this stuff built, and it's built off the clock and the time, and it's just it's amazing if you ever get a chance to do something like that. But Cusco's about, ah, uh, you know, three days journey by walk through the mountains to get there. 
you know, a lot of people, well, actually, it's probably closer to a week, and you start there, and you and you go, and you, you start on this journey. But Cusco itself is like the major city that's around. So we were, we were there twice, been there twice, to go do missional work. Now, Cusco, the town proper, is pretty awesome. You know, it's lots of areas, stone streets, kind of, kind of like people driving cars and all this kind of stuff. But when we stayed there, that's where we stayed in the hotel. But we got in out of the hotel every morning, and we'd walk about three blocks, and we'd cross this river. And then we went to the outskirts area of that town. And their job on the other side of the river over there, you talk about being born on the wrong side of the tracks. These people were born on the wrong side of the river. They are true Incas with the dress, the headwear, the, all that kind of stuff. They live that culture, not Peruvian culture, but Incan culture. And you go in there, and um, the town's totally different. The roads aren't paved. There are potholes as big as these pews that you're driving in or walking around. And the river is the sewer for the city. And so I walk across and I'm going, and there's a lady down there washing her clothes. And they climb that mountain every day and cut down eucalyptus trees and they burn them. So there is smoke everywhere all the time. And they're burning this stuff so that they can get those kilns hot enough to make those brick for everybody else to have. And this is their life every single solitary day. And they are 8,000 feet up in the air. You ever tried to breathe 8,000 feet up in the air? Don't ever play soccer 8,000 feet up in the air because you'll be going, I'm going to throw up. They're all wearing hats because the sun is so bad. Every school kid has a uniform with a hat. And this is the squalor, but there's a church right there in the middle of that. And for years, Connecting Point Church sponsored that church or helped sponsor it. And we packed it up and we went there. Teenagers to people in the 60s. And we all loaded up and we flew down there. And we took them everything that we had. No, no joke. Every stitch of clothes I took down there, I left there. I saved up clothes for an entire year so I could leave them my clothes that I wore while I was down there. And I came back with their coffee. (laughs) And all kinds of stuff like that. You see, we got to get it right mindset here. We got to see this for what it is. They are working it in the streets down there every day. We can't just show up on Sunday and mail it in. It's not fair. It's not fair to our father, and it's not fair to our fellow workers. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this day and for the blessings in which you bestowed upon us, for the gifts in which we've been given. So much entrusted to us. 
To whom much is given, much is required. Our responsibility is greater because of the gifts and the places and the blessings in which you've bestowed upon us. Help us to see that. Help us to come to the realization, Father, that we are not worthless. That we are worth more than the streets of heaven which are made of silver, gold, and precious jewels. Bless us, Father, in spite of ourselves. Help us to get a reality check of who we are and what you've called us to. We love you, and thank you so much earnestly for the love that you have for us in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. You move as the Lord leads you. The altar is open. I'll be here to pray with you for you if if the Lord has moved you to come and speak with me.